Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello everyone, welcome back to the History Hit Warfare podcast. I'm your host, James Rogers. Now, it's common to talk about the impact that the Second World War had on the Allied nations and that monumental task of rebuilding that got underway as the Cold War began to rage. But it's far less common to hear about the experience in a divided, fragmented, fractured, you could say shattered Germany from 1945. How, if at all, did the country begin to deal with its dark history of fascism? fascism and its role in the Holocaust? What impact did the complete breakdown of civil society have on civilians and their ability to rebuild their lives? And perhaps most staggering of all, as we look back now, how has it been possible for Germany to rebuild, recover and grow into the successful functioning democracy that it is today? Well, to take us through this history and discuss these questions, we have the award-winning German author and journalist Harold Janner. Now, Harold is the author of a new book, Aftermath, Life in the Fallout of the Third Reich, 1945-55, to and he provides us with a new specific history that helps highlight just how complex and chaotic that first decade after the Second World War really was. So here is Harold Yanner on the aftermath of the Second World War. Hi, Harold. Thank you so much for coming on the Warfare podcast. How are you doing today? Fine. The weather is good. It's very hot. The first really warm day in Germany. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. And how's the lockdowns going in Germany? I, I hear that things weren't going too well with COVID. It's, yeah, in the past, but in the moment, it seems to get better and better. Uh, yeah, tomorrow I um, go into the Baltic Sea for two days. Yeah, on my sailing boat, and yes, it's the first time this year that we can go uh, to Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, also to the Baltic shore. 
And I hope it wouldn't be too crowded, but yeah, I'm looking forward to have a, a wonderful weekend starting tomorrow in the afternoon. Well, that's fantastic. And thank you for making some time for us before you sail off, cast off on your voyage into the Baltic Sea. I'm actually really keen to learn from you today, to learn about a topic that I feel has been perhaps neglected until recently, at least, from English language histories of the Second World War and that initial post-war decade. And that is the history of German life in the fallout of the Third Reich. We hear a lot about how Britain had to rebuild, how France had to reunite, and how the US and the USSR rose up into superpowers. But perhaps you can tell us how we can best understand, best explain the German experience in that initial moment post-1945. Yeah, at first I have to say that this period is neglected by the German historians too, because there is of course a lot of books about the Nazi period and a lot of books about the new two German republics starting uh, 1949. But the four years between, uh, yeah, a black hole. And why is it? I think my theory is that we have still a national historiography. And that means national historians need to have a subject, a national subject on the top of the state, a ruling subject. And so we have it, of course, with Hitler till April or May 45. But the year between the Bundesrepublik Deutschland, the new German Republic and the Nazi Reich, we had uh, four powers, the Allied powers. And this is not the good condition for national historiography. So we have a lack there, a lack of knowledge. And I was curious to know how Germans came along with the anarchy, with the chaos for which they are not made for, as you know, <laughs> and how they come along with the surrender and with the guilt, last but not least. So the starting point was a lack of courage, a lack of security. We had from one moment to the other, there was no one to give them shelter or to give them a command, you know. The soldiers or the policemen pulled out their uniforms and there was nothing to shelter the people. And of course, there are the Allied soldiers, but they had to do other things, as you know. And so the people were totally on their own. And this is something which especially the Germans are not experienced with. And so they felt really absolutely nervous. See, that's really interesting, because in some of the more revisionist histories of the Blitz in the UK... It's now less about this idea of a blitz spirit and the country coming together to help one another in hard times, and this idea of a stiff upper lip. And it's more about the complex psychological and social traumas left by war, the elements of a breakdown of society, the rise in crime that took place in areas that had heavy bombardment, and actually the breakdown of society in so many places. Could you argue that this is a similar experience 
when you're looking at a fragmented, divided, defeated, guilt-ridden Germany? Is it a case of people coming together to help one another, or is it just doing whatever you can to survive? And that can also lead to a rise in criminality as well. Yeah, that's an interesting and very crucial, difficult question, because the title of my book in the original German version is Wolfzeit, Time of the Wolf. And it was called by the Germans themselves Wolfzeit, or another word was a time of the Niemannszeit. No one was responsible for anything. And the other German phrase for this time was Wolfzeit, Time of the Wolf. And that means the beginning of anarchy. The men act like wolf to other men. And that means they have on one side great solidarity within special peer groups, within their families or sometimes within the neighborhood. But against other wolves, they felt anxiety, Feindschaft what means hostility and so the system, the society felt apart in different groups of wolves. And then we have the single wolf, the great wolf, the very lonely animal which is full of anxiety and therefore very dangerous. And we have both. Uh, in this time we had the group of wolves and we had the lonely wolves. That means the people feared each other, but on the other hand, they are longing for each other. They are in need for each other. And therefore, we have a completely new way of behavior, um, very directly, that is uncommon for uh, Germans. And on the other hand, full of yeah, anxiety and fear course and great insecurity insecurity from one another like you say there's a breakdown of the entire civil society and the policing regulation and regimes in place and perhaps even fear of reprisals from what they may consider to be enemy soldiers now coming in to occupy their towns and cities perhaps you can give us a little bit of some further detail on just what the landscape was like at this time. How many displaced people were there in Germany? How many cities were left destroyed? And what happened to these people? Were they moved into temporary displaced people's camps to regroup and rehabilitate before moving back into the cities and trying to rebuild? Yes, the half of the people who lived in the, within the German borders weren't there where they belong to, where, where they want to go to. So on the one hand, we had the forced laborers. They were liberated, but of course, in the first days and weeks and months of aftermath, they weren't safe. The soldiers set them free, but then they hadn't something to eat. They are forced to steal something, they are forced to make some robbery and so on. And so the Germans feared them more than ever. And uh, there was a lot of tensions between these vagabonding forced 
laborers and the Germans. And a lot of these people are full of hate. So they made a lot of bad things, of course. And the uh, allies, the British soldiers and the American soldiers, had a lot of difficulties with them in the beginning. And they tried to bring them back, in, sometimes in their old camps, or they built new camps for them. But very often they are still hinter closed walls, behind closed walls. And yeah, it was not very easy for them. On the other hand, some of the forced laborers weren't willing to go back, especially the forced laborers coming from the Soviet Union, because they were not very uh, welcome in the Stalinistic Soviet Union. And it was a cruel situation for them. And Stalin hated the forced laborers, which uh, did survive a cruel thing. So very often they had to go in camps too, or they were killed and sentenced by death by Stalin. So therefore they want to stay in Germany under the protection of the British and American soldiers. But they were not willing to feed them all their next years. And they are allies. They fought together with the Soviet army. So it's a force to send these people back to their home, to their Soviet home. And there were cruel scenes because these people weren't willing to go back. They are forced to, with, very often with machine guns. And a lot of people uh, make suicide. And also for the British soldiers, it was a very hard stuff. And then we had the Germans fleeing from the East. Then they were not very welcome in Germany. The Germans don't like their compatriots coming from the East because they had not enough food, they had not enough housings, and so they want to send them back. Also a very cruel thing. And um, the British and American soldiers had to force the Germans to give their former compatriots a shelter and uh, a little bit food and share their homes with them. And the good thing of this kind of German tribalism was that all the Germans can see that the hypertrophic German community, the Volksgemeinschaft and the master race was a, a big, big lie. So out of this utter destruction, devastation and division... How did the democratic economic powerhouse of Germany that we know today begin to slowly and tentatively rise from the ashes in that decade post-1945? Who can we hone in on who was able to bring these disparate and divided parts of society together to try and once again create some semblance of a society, although, of course, Germany being a divided country, and some semblance of a state? On one hand, we had still the big industry. It was not everything destroyed. And more than half of the industrial power still exists. 
it had to be repaired and it had to be managed in a new way. But the basic structures were still working. And on the other hand, we have the need of self-organization of the people uh, from very basic structures. So we have what we call now urban gardening, you know, in the middle of the rubble and the debris, uh, the people starting to found little gardens and so, and uh, they had to sometimes in the balconies, they bring some earth on the balconies and tried to make potatoes there <laughs> and tomatoes. And so, yeah, they had a huge lack of wood. They had nothing for the fire, for the ovens, you know, and therefore they sent their children to find some wood for heating. And so it was very cold in the winter 46 and 47. Thousands of people dying by cold and hunger in these two post-war winters. Yeah, that was a very hard time for them. What interesting is that in the cities with rich industrial structures, it was very hard for the single person to survive because there was a lack of food. Yes, potatoes and... So it was easier for people on the rural areas to survive. So um, the industry was working, it was starting to work, but there was still very much hunger and misery in the cities. It was not so difficult in the rural area. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, Tristan, you've got 50 seconds. Go. Right, so Dan's given me a few seconds to sell the Ancients podcast. What is the Ancients, I hear you say? Well, it's like Dan's show, except just ancient history. 
we've got the groundbreaking new archaeological discoveries. This seems to be the oldest known dated depiction of the animal world, as far as we can tell, anywhere in the world. We've got the big names. It's one of these great things, Pompeii. It's kind of forever rising from the dead and from destruction. We've got the big topics. The man destroys seven legions in a day. No one in history has done that. Subscribe to the Ancients from History Hit wherever you get your podcasts from. Oh, and Russell Crowe, if you're listening, we would love to have you on the Ancients. Spread the word, people. Spread the word. So it sounds like an industriousness grips parts of Germany and people, even though they live in such destitute times, they bring a level of fortitude into their lives to progress and push forwards. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, they worked very hard, but it was not enough to survive. So the Germans need to learn to steal for example. It was not easy for them. They need to steal coal and wood and some food. And so, uh, especially in the cities, they have to go out in the rural areas to bring back something to eat, on which way ever. And uh, very important, the relationships between uh, the mothers and their children. The mothers and children were working close together in cooperative surviving teams, very trustfully organized. The mothers make the plants and the little children uh, going out to organize something because they were faster and it was not so bad if something caught them because all the institutions for lonely children and criminal children were absolutely overcrowded and they came back anyway. Yeah, these were very uh, close, trustful relationships between the mothers and the children. And in these close little organizations, the fathers came back from the war and they were soldiers. They had learned to command and to obey, and they had no skills which were needed in the anarchy and this chaos. So they couldn't help their families. They came back full of bitterness and jealousy. And so uh, the family life uh, in this time was very, very difficult, full of disappointments. And we have an enormous increase of divorces immediately uh, after the war, because especially the women were looking for another life and for another partners. They were disappointed by their men. They had waited for them years by years, and then they came back totally sad, ill, weak, and bitter. Well, thank you for setting me straight there, because I think that I was perhaps hopefully looking for some sort of spark or light that shines out of this darkness, but it really does sound like society is shattered at this time, and I'm not sure there's a better word to describe it than shattered into a million pieces. How then does Germany start to reshape and mould a sense of citizenship and identity? 
how does it start to shape the minds of people to bring them together once again? Yeah, at first I want to say something about the joy of life in these days. I think misery and joy, uh, mourning and laughter are very close together in this time because the people had escaped high risk, high danger. They had escaped the war, they had survived and they want to enjoy every single day. They were depressed on one side, they feared each other on the other side. At the long last, they want to start life. And especially uh, the young people, especially the young women, were keen to make new experience. And in all this misery, they saw the, all the rubble, all the debris, all the ruined landscape as a whole playground for new adventures. A new experience. So it was both. It was a completely shuttered society, that's right. But on the other hand, it was a new kind of freedom. A lot of relatives were vanished or dead. Children lost their parents. Women lost their men. But on the other side, they lost old bindings. They lost also the bad and hard sides of your life. And the strong characters were keen to make other experience. And so this was the energy, what can explain the power the Germans have to rebuild their society. Especially the German refugees had a lot of courage, power and the willing to start a new life. Even in this hostile the surrounding of the Germans living since generations there. They were not very welcome. Yeah, that's one side of the Wirtschaftswunde, the psychological side. And then how does that psychological side start to get shaped? The Americans start to try and instill any sort of ideological or psychological elements to unite the German people or turn them, remould them towards more of a liberal democratic tone and leave behind the memories of a, a fascist dictatorship? Yes, there were different states of re-education. The first was to confront the Germans with their crimes, with the war crimes, with the genocide and uh, the Holocaust. And it was, uh, for example, there were these kind of atrocity films made in the concentration camps, showing uh, all the dead victims, masses of victims, and the Germans were forced to see that. And this strategy was not very successful because a lot of people looked at uh, the bottom or closed their eyes or thought everything is faked. And so that was not very successful. And the next step was to create a first kind of open debate. British and American authorities founded a lot of newspapers, daily newspapers, and they were very successful and very popular in Germany because the Germans need news. 
news were very wealthy stuff in these days. And in so far, these newspapers had copies of hundreds, thousands and millions. And what um, Germans noticed is that in some of these magazines and newspapers, the Allies, the occupation powers, started a relative open debate. For example, a debate about occupation problems, about soldiers who drank too much and killed some people in the traffic and so, drunken soldiers with their jeep and so. And on this stuff, you can read in the newspapers controlled by the occupation powers. And the Germans didn't know that from the Nazi powers. And it was something new. And this is a point um, that was very convincing. Also, the American houses, cultural institution, where you can rent books and read magazines and could see exhibitions. And so this was very helpful and very wealthy. The abstract paintings showed by Americans were enormously impressive for the Germans because they saw a kind of liberation in it, a kind of free expression, a free mood, and a kind of yeah, joy of life. And all these things were important. And, of course, the films. The film industry was very helpful, but also the radio moderators, a radio men like Chris Howland, a DJ, very popular by Germans, British DJ, speaking a mixture of English and German, in <laughs> a very interesting way. He was very popular till the 60s. So Germany is really undergoing a period of monumental change and transformation. But there's also a deafening silence here as well. You mentioned, of course, that the newspapers detail some aspects of the Holocaust. But is Hannah Arendt right that when she returns to the country, she faces a deafening wall of silence at the mention of the Holocaust and its discussion within society? Yes, there was a wall of silence. It is shocking that the Holocaust plays such a little part in uh, the German thinking immediately after the war, for years. Germans saw themselves as victims of the Nazi Reich. They felt betrayed, seduced, something felt like put under drugs, under a kind of propaganda drugs, and saw themselves as the victims of the Third Reich. And uh, the real victims stood in the shadow. On the other hand, it was cruel, and it's a shame, of course, this kind of repression. But I think I have a little bit understanding for the need of repression, because... If you saw the full dimension of guilt that Germans had, it would be impossible to have these strengths to survive in the difficult years. And for example, 
the most important things were, were the existence of children. If you have to educate children, let's say 1947 or 49, and you have to show them the difference between right and wrong, you had to pretend that you have the moral integrity to educate them, to show them the difference between right and false. And therefore, you have to repress all the guilt you have. You have to pretend to be a moral integer people, a moral integer man. But they teach the children about the sins of the Holocaust during that period. Later on, a generation later on. A generation later. When are we talking? Ah, the Germans start to admit and to see clearly what they have done during the Holocaust, I think, in the 60s with the Auschwitz trials. And uh, then began step by step a kind of enlightenment about all these crimes. And step by step, they were aware about the dimension of the genocide. But immediately after the war and in the early 50s, there was only silence about the Jews. It's remarkable to think and almost unbelievable, but I think you've really provided us with a complex portrait of society in Germany between 1945 and 1955, one which I can only describe as corrupted and demoralized, but yet you present some lights of ambition and a little hope, yet people are ashamed and guilty, but ultimately free all at the same time. And it's important that we understand that, I suppose, to understand how Germany, well, <laughs> somehow overcomes that incredibly divided period and becomes the country that it is today. Yes, I agree with you. It's my experience studying and exploring those years was to see the ambiguity and the paradoxes of this time. Every cruel and disappointing thing had on the other side a positive effect also. So at the end, the Germans had a great luck and it is a kind of injustice concerning all the millions of victims. But in the, so far, it's still a big shame. On the other hand, of course, I'm glad to live here now in this comfortable situation. But sometimes I feel still this kind of shame, even if I tried to understand with my book how the Germans react after the war as they did. Well, Harold, thank you so much for coming on the Warfare Podcast. Tell us, where can people read more about this fascinating yet dark history? In my book? <laughs> yeah, it's my book, Aftermath, Life in the Fallout of the Third Reich. 1945 till 1955. Brilliant. And I assume that's available at all good booksellers and all online usual retailers. Thank you, Harold.
Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being your guest. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.